Well, good morning, church. Good morning. Wonderful to see you all this morning. And uh, uh, Kevin, who usually does the, the pulpit, uh, is in Connecticut this weekend with Kathy down at a wedding. And so once again, you're going to be stuck with me the whole morning. Um, let's see. I don't have any specific announcements. I know Fred does, but before I point to Fred, any any announcements that I'm forgetting? Donna. Don't forget to look in the, the bulletin for uh, ladies' night out this coming Wednesday, 6 p.m. here at, in the fellowship hall. It'll be a great time of fun, food, fellowship, and devotion. Ladies' night out for the ladies. More information in your bulletin or talk to Donna. Thank you, Donna, for putting that together. Other announcements? Okay, I'll, I'll hand it over to Fred. get this right. There we go. Uh, the Jewett family, that's him. <laughs> and where is she? She went out by. She went out by. Okay. Anyway, um, they have to go back to Boston for surgery for their baby. And uh, I was looking in the Bible and it says in Galatians 6, in verse 2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I think it's important that we stand with our pastor and his family. <coughs> the little girl back there is about this big and got to have a heart operation. But they're, they're very optimistic about it, and that's good. But there's some expenses involved here. <coughs> Uh, they're taken care of as far as the medical thing is, but they uh, they need a trip to Boston. They need the, to take care of the lodging, the travel, the food, and so forth. And so what I would like to do, two or three people have approached me that they would like to help out in this, and so we're going to have a special offering next Sunday there will only be one offering, but there will be envelopes provided for you. And whatever you want to give to this cause, you uh, put it in the envelope and put it right in the offering. And make it out to Liberty Baptist Church, Jewett Fund. And uh, that's J-E-W-E-T-T -T in, case, in case you have trouble. <laughs> <laughs> <coughs> and uh, the pastor and his wife are asking for nothing. But I think scripturally we owe something to the Lord to be obedient. Amen. And that's all I gotta say. Next week. Thank you. You may return. <laughs> thank you, Fred. And we're very we're very thankful to be part of this church family and very thankful for all of the prayers and support and the kindness that you've poured out over the last month. So thank you. Let's begin with a scripture reading from uh, the book of Psalms. Psalm 
And we'll, we'll read Psalm 85 together. Psalm 85. You showed favor to your land, O Lord. You restored the fortunes of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people and covered all their sins. You set aside all your wrath and turned from your fierce anger. Restore us again, O God, our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your unfailing love, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will listen to what God the Lord will say. He promises peace to his people, his saints. But let them not return to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that his glory may dwell in our land. Love and faithfulness meet together. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. Faithfulness springs forth from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. The Lord will indeed give what is good, and our land will yield its harvest. Righteousness goes before him and prepares the way for his steps. This is God's word. Let's pray as we begin our service. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather together on this Lord's Day. Pray that you'd be with us this morning by your spirit, that you'd be guiding our hearts, Lord, to, to be lifted up in worship to you, and to be receptive to your word as we look to it. We pray that you'd be at work among us, Father, that you show your faithfulness to your people once again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's stand together, if you would, and we're going to be singing uh, uh, hymn number three out of the blue book. If you find a blue book in your pew there, number three, holy, holy, holy. We'll sing together. Darkness 
come forward at this time for the morning offering. Uh, just as a reminder, this is an offering to support the work of the church uh, from our, uh, our regular attenders and members, and if you're a visitor, please don't feel any pressure to give. Have the ushers take the offering at this time, and I'll have Brian pray after the offering is taken. Actually, if you'll stay standing or stand back up and open your green book, get a little green folder there, and open to number one. Number one, Christ our hope in life and death. Christ alone 
tell you, I miss Kevin on Sundays like this. I'm going to do all the talking. All right. What a privilege, though, it is to be able to go to God in prayer. We're going to do that now. We've got a few prayer requests that came in the offering plate. Any other uh, requests, praises, thanksgivings? Gail.
Thank you for sharing, Gail. Um, Gail and Charlie have typically split their time between Maine and New Zealand in a number of, a number of um, trials. The folks out in, in the church in New Zealand are experiencing, and so we'll pray, for, we'll pray for that church in Westport, New Zealand, and their pastor and his wife. Other prayer requests? Yeah, a lot of turmoil going on in the world right now. Yeah, Russ, if you didn't hear, Russ has a, one of the students that he teaches online, uh, with those online Bible classes, is from South Africa. So we'll, we'll pray for her as well. Esther. Allison? Yeah, we'll continue to pray for the, the Harriman family. Uh, Richard's service is at noon today and the Palmer family as well. They had Steve's service yesterday. Millie. Okay. We'll pray for Millie's friend, Scott, who has cancer. Any other requests, praises, thanksgivings? All right, let's, let's go to our God together in prayer. Father, we come to you this morning and we, we do acknowledge it as a, a privilege and a joy to come to you in prayer because we know that over all the turmoil of our lives and over the world, you reign as king. And we don't always understand exactly what you're doing in allowing things to happen. Lord, in the, in the world and in our own lives, but we, we trust, Lord, that you reign over all things. As the psalmist prayed, to you, O Lord, we lift up our souls. O our God, in you we trust. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty because everything that is in the heavens above and in the earth below is yours. And we rejoice, Lord, that we know the one who holds all things in his hands and that we can trust in you. We acknowledge, Father, as we come into your presence and among your people this morning that we are we're sinners. We confess that we've, we often wander and stray from your ways like lost sheep. We follow too much 
the devices and the desires of our own hearts. We've offended against your holy laws and we've left undone those things which we ought to have done and done those things which we ought not to have done. We ask, Lord, that you'd have mercy on us, that you'd restore all those who come to you in repentance according to the promises which you've declared unto all people in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's take a moment now to silently confess our sins unto God. We thank you, Father, for the great promises in Scripture that for all those who confess, who come into the light, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins in Jesus' name, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we know this to be true because Jesus told us it was so. And it is our joy and our relief to trust him for it. And not just for our forgiveness, but for everything in our, in our lives and in our Christian lives. Our forgiveness, our justification, our adoption into your family. We, we trust it all to you. And we ask, Father, that as we sojourn in this world, as we long for our heavenly home, that you'd be at work in our hearts, making us more like Jesus. We come, Lord, weighed, with a, weighed down with a number of requests this morning. We pray first for uh, Katie Light and for her husband, Richard. Katie's not with us this morning. Uh, Father, you know, because Richard's had some pain in his chest this morning. Not sure what it is. Pray that you'd be with them, Lord, that they'd seek medical help if, if that's needed, and that Richard be up to, to go to the hospital if he needs that. Pray that you'd watch over that family and over over Richard and, uh, and over Katie as she supports him and over Gabe as he's present for all this. We also lift up uh, Joy and Randy, Father, and, uh, and Amanda and S Sarah, Lord, Joy's daughter and her family and all they're going through this weekend is Sarah's basically in critical condition in the hospital and uh, things don't look good. Father, we pray that you'd comfort her family, that you'd give joy and Randy endurance and strength as they seek to support Sarah and her family. We pray for Sarah's husband and their children, um, that you would, your presence would be specially known among them and Lord, that through all of this they would find hope in Jesus, that you would comfort them it be drawn close to you, our loving God. Lord, we pray for Dean Bartlett, who's not with us this morning. He's not feeling well. Pray that you'd grant him, grant him healing, that he'd feel better. We pray for uh, Jane, Lord, our, our treasured sister, as she um, passes the one-year mark of, of Steve's death this week. And uh, we pray that you'd be with her, that you'd comfort her. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the ways you've provided and cared for her in this past year. And pray that you continue to do so, especially this week. That your presence would be just so palpably known to her. Pray for Marge Hannon's family who's passed away. We pray that you'd be with her family, comfort them. 
as well as all those who mourn in our community. Lord, we pray for the Harrimans as they, they gather here in another hour or so uh, down at the community hall, I believe, and just that you'd be with their family, that you'd comfort them, and that uh, uh, in this difficult time they would look to you, Jesus, for hope. We pray uh, as well, Lord, for the, the Palmer family uh, who, uh, who had a service for, for Steve Palmer yesterday and just pray that you continue to comfort them. Lord, we lift up to you New Zealand. So much flooding going on there, especially Westport, Lord, who's, uh, we're, we're not, who, who Gail is personally familiar with, Lord, her, really her second home. And, uh, and we pray especially for that congregation there uh, that body of Christ uh, across the world. And uh, uh, we know Gail, who knows them, and you know them, and we're brothers and sisters. And so we lift them up this morning. We ask that you'd be with them. Uh, Lord, we, we pray that through this great trial, the, the church there would be able to, uh, to show the love of Christ to many people in need. And God, that you'd, your name would be glorified. We pray that you'd... Uh, provide, Lord, for those who've lost their homes, uh, all those who are evacuated. And uh, we pray especially, Lord, for the pastor's wife there who's from South Africa and who's, uh, for whom this is just one thing on top of so much else going on, uh, particularly given all that's going on in her home country. So we pray that you'd comfort her heart. We pray too for Russ's student, Esther, who was in South Africa. We pray that you'd be with her, Lord, that you'd assure her that you are her stronghold and her salvation. We pray, Lord, for the, the tumultuous atmosphere in South Africa, Lord, that you would bring peace where there is trouble. Pray the same for Myanmar, another tumultuous place, Lord, where the Church of Christ is struggling under, under the tumult. Pray that you'd strengthen your people there. Father, we ask your blessing over the rest of this service. There's, there's so much else we could say, but mainly, Lord, we, we want to look to you. We need you. We need your help, especially this morning as we come to your word. Um, we ask that you'd speak to us. You'd be at work among us. We're confident, Lord, that you are because you keep your promises that you make to your people. And You've promised to do a work in your church in this world. And so we're going to lean into that this morning. And Lord, we're excited to see how you'll be at work in our lives and in this world and in our community through this people. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's, let's stand together and sing one more song before the sermon. In the blue book, number 393. Breathe on me, breath of God. Breathe on me, breath of 
upon me breath of God until my heart is pure until with thee I will one will to do and to endure breathe on me breath of God till I am holy thine until this earthly part of me glows with thy fire divine breathe on me breath of God so shall I never die but live with perfect life of thine eternity. Amen. You may be seated. Keep your book open to that page. Stay seated. You can, you can have a seat. That's all right. I just wanted to, to briefly mention, I'm talking about breathe on me, breath of God. Like, what, are we, what are we even talking about? But in Scripture, the word for breath or wind is also used as the word for spirit. And it's the same in, in Hebrew and in Greek, um, ruach and pneuma. And so um, when we say breathe on me, breath of God, we're, we're saying, God, send your spirit, right? Send your presence to live in me and to live among us. And I think that's a wonderful prayer as we go uh, to God's word, saying, God, as we go to your word, breathe on me, right? Send your spirit, send your presence that we would be able to know him. <coughs> this past week, I don't know if you saw on the news, but um, billionaire Richard Branson made history. As I believe, the first man to go to space on a spacecraft designed and flown by his own company, Virgin Galactic. It's the name of the company. And uh, there's been all kinds of talk about whether this is a wise, uh, uh, wise expenditure of money. Uh, I'm not going to wade into that debate. But I, I, I did want to share Branson's words that he, he gave in an interview a few years ago. one of the wealthiest men in the world, motivated, successful man. And he was asked, Richard Branson, what is your purpose in life? What's, what do you, what's your sense of your personal mission in life? And, uh, and he summed it up in one sentence. Here it is. Have fun in your journey through life and learn from your mistakes. That's Richard Branson's purpose on this earth. Have fun in life, learn from your mistakes. Here's another personal mission statement. This is Walt Disney's. He was asked, what's your purpose in life? He said, to make people happy. That's it. That summed it up for Walt Disney. Poet Maya Angelou was, was asked her purpose in life. Hers is a little more lengthy. She said, not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. So three personal mission statements. 
This morning, I want to make the case to you that all three of these personal mission statements fall short of our highest obligations as human beings. Having fun is no crime. Making other people smile is not a punishable offense. Living and thriving with compassion, that's a great goal. But none of these things quite gets to our highest obligations on this earth. Branson and Disney and Angelou have put in their two cents, but this morning we're going to hear from Jesus, who is the incarnate God. What, according to Jesus, is our highest obligation in this life? Here's our big idea for this morning. Love is our highest obligation. Love is our highest obligation. Let's read our passage together. We're going to be in Mark chapter 12, the Gospel of Mark in the New Testament. Mark chapter 12 and beginning in verse 28. Mark chapter 12 beginning in verse 28. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one, and that there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, and with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father, we're hitting here on the core of Jesus' teaching and on the core of what we owe to you as our God and to each other. And we ask that you would convict us this morning by your word we would see how high the standard of love really is, how far we fall short, and how willing Jesus is to bridge that gap and to teach us again how to love. Be at work among us, O God, by your Spirit. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So we spent the last couple of weeks following Jesus as he fought verbally with his religious opponents, they, they saw him as a threat, and so they're coming at him with all kinds of attacks to try and trip him up in his words. And today we're going to study a different kind of encounter. Jesus is finally met by a man who is actually seeking honest answers. He's coming honestly. Verse 28, one of the scribes came up, heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him. This is a scribe. This is another of the religious leaders, but... This guy got it, right? He's listening carefully to Jesus' answers. He's like, this this guy knows his stuff. 
So he asked Jesus an honest question. This time, not a trick. It's an honest question on an issue that many rabbis of the day spent hours and hours and years debating. Which commandment is the most important of all? And this was a common question, maybe a bit like um, which comes first, the chicken or the egg. Everyone had an opinion. All the teachers of ancient Israel discussed this question. Which, which of the commandments is the most important? They counted a total of 613 total commands in the Old Testament law. And various rabbis had come to different conclusions as to which one was most important. Scholars point out that one rabbi quoted Proverbs 3 verse 6 as the heart of the law, which says, in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Another rabbi quoted Habakkuk 2 verse 4 as the most important command, the righteous will live by faith. So this sincere scribe comes and asks Jesus for his take, which commandment is the most important of all? In other words, Jesus, how would you sum up our greatest obligations in this life? What are we supposed to do with the days that are given to us? What should we be seeking to do above all things? And the amazing thing that this scribe did not understand is that he was not talking to just another rabbi. This, this wasn't just another human teacher speculating as to which was most important. The unwitting scribe had stumbled upon God in the flesh. We believe that Jesus is God, God incarnate, God in human form. Jesus is God along with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. The scribe was talking to the author of the law the author of all creation. The scribe didn't realize it at the time, but there was literally, and there is literally, no one better equipped to answer this question than the man who was standing in front of him, Jesus Christ. Verse 29, Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Love is our greatest obligation. The highest duty, the most important thing we are called to do in this life is to love, to love God and to love the people around us. So we'll look at each of those in turn. First, we'll look at love of God. Love is our highest obligation to God. The most important command in Scripture, according to Jesus, is found in Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5. Jesus is quoting the Old Testament here. He's not coming up with this brand new. He, he'd already written down the most important commandments, right? And he's, he's quoting them from Deuteronomy. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Notice that that's not a command. That's a statement. This, this command starts with a statement of God's existence, right? There is one God. There's one God who made the heavens and the earth. 
and our obligation to that God, to the God who made us, is love, verse 30, and you shall love the Lord your God. Notice what this command does not say. Jesus does not say that our first obligation is to fear God. He does not say that our first obligation is to even to obey God. He doesn't even say that our first obligation is to follow God. We should be doing all of those things. And in fact, all of those things will naturally follow if love comes first. But no, the first thing, the first order of business in terms of our relationship with God, our highest obligation is love. You should love the Lord your God. And this tells us something important about God. He made us to know him and to love him. God made us to have relationship with him. We were made for him. You should love the Lord your God. Incidentally, this is why many people today who think of themselves as good people actually fall far short of true righteousness before God. Remember those famous purpose statements, right? Have fun, make people happy, thrive. Those are good things, but you can be a thriving, fun-loving, joy-spreading person and still live a life which ignores your God. A life which falls far short of our highest obligation. If we really were made to know and to love God, then any life which ignores God falls short of our design, no matter how many people we've made happy. We were made to know and to love God. Love of God is our greatest and our highest obligation coming even before love of neighbor. Because there is nothing that matters more than our relationship to our creator. Say that again. There is nothing that matters more than our relationship to our creator. He made this world, all of it. He made you. He numbers the hairs on your head. He made everything that exists and Literally every atom in the universe he sustains by his power right now. Every breath that you breathe is sovereignly granted to you by him. Your eternal destiny is in his hands. He is God. So nothing matters more than our relationship with him. And we don't just owe him love out of obligation because of his power. He deserves our love because of who he is. The only way we learn to love him is because he first loves us. He's not only our great creator, he's our loving king. The God who made the universe commands your love because he's great and he also desires your love because he loves you. The God who made the universe has a personal interest in knowing you. Today, verse 30, you shall love the Lord your God. So here's the obvious question. Do you love God? Do you, do you ever think about him? Do you even so much as acknowledge his existence? 
Many people go most days, most weeks, even most months without so much as giving God a thought. That's not love, that's ambivalence. Or maybe you do believe in God, you even pray occasionally, but you've never devoted any serious time to getting to know God in scripture or in prayer. You don't consider his will in any major decisions and you only half-heartedly engage in church when you go. That's not love, that's barely even interest. Or maybe you do pursue God. You read your Bible. You pray often. You seek his will for your life. You go to church and you love it. You are, by all measures, a good Christian. And right now you're patting yourself on on the back because you know what's coming. And that, friends, is what it looks like to love God. Let's look again at verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is a high obligation. Do you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Can you honestly say that no part of your heart sometimes rebels against God? Are there no corners of your soul where sin still lingers? Are all your thoughts honoring and pleasing to him? Is every ounce of your might focused on pursuing the God that you love, or isn't there something that you're holding back? This is a high standard that Jesus has set out here. And it's a, hand, it's a standard so high that none of us can pat our backs looking at this, right? This is a standard that none of us have reached. Love is our highest obligation to God, and it's a high obligation. Secondly, love is our highest obligation to, to man, to our fellow human beings. Verse 31, the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no greater command than these. Love your neighbor as yourself. Again here, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. This command is from Leviticus 19, verse 18. Jesus says, our our relationship to God is primary, but our relationship to those around us is also essential. We can kind of ask the obvious question again here. Do, Do we love the people around us? Again, the standard is high. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. interesting here Jesus assumes that self-love is natural we don't have to be taught to look out for number one when Nora was born we didn't have to teach her to tell us when she has needs (laughs) when she's hungry she'll tell you when you're tired you'll know it when she's tired rather when she needs a diaper changed you'll know it it's it's natural to love oneself But Jesus tells us that we are to love our neighbors as ourselves. That we should show the same kind of care for other people that we show our own bodies. Again, this raises the inevitable question, do we love like that? Do we really love our neighbors as ourselves? Maybe you have 
some kind of blatant violations of that command in your mind right now. You have relationships in your life that are marked by anger, unresolved conflict, unforgiveness, resentment. Many of us do. But the standard of love is more than just a lack of conflict. You could be the most amiable person in the world, cheerful, friendly, and still be ambivalent towards those around you. Cheerful indifference is indifference just the same. Jesus is calling us to a radical kind of love. A love which so reaches out to our neighbors that we love them, care for them, look out for them with the same care that we offer our own bodies. And none of us in this room have done that perfectly. All of us have moments of selfishness, of self-centeredness, when we forget the concerns of those around us, we allow ourselves to be indifferent to our friends, our family, our neighbors. So the standard Jesus set here is very high. Love of God, which is t all encompassing, and a love of neighbor, which is totally self-giving. And maybe you feel discouraged right now. Say this. This standard is so high. And I'm sure I haven't reached it. I want to assure you, I think that's one of the reasons Jesus taught this this way. One of the major lessons we need to be learning from Jesus in this passage is that the standard of love is so high that it's actually too high for us to perfectly achieve in this life. It's a good thing that we understand that we fall short. It's a good thing that we understand that none of us in our fallen sinful hearts can actually love God with everything we can't. None of us in our self-absorbed human hearts can actually love our neighbor with perfect self giving and this is why the law the obligation by itself falls short right we could you know we've, we've we've heard these two obligations and we could spend the rest of our lives just working real hard to try and make it love god with everything love our neighbor but ultimately that pursuit by itself will can only lead ultimately to failure because none of us can measure up. We can't love our God perfectly. We've already failed. And to fail in this greatest of obligations is no light thing. According to the Apostle Paul, the wages of sin is death. To ignore and to rebel against our Creator is a high crime worthy of eternal death. These great love commands point us in the direction we were made to run and at the same time show us that the race is impossible to win because we are too deeply ruined by our own rebellion against God. Knowledge of the law cannot save. Understanding our greatest obligations is a wonderful thing, but it cannot get us into the kingdom. Notice how the scribe responded to Jesus. This is really interesting. For once someone was actually listening, he gets it. Verse 32, the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You've truly said all of this. Verse 33, to love him with all the heart and all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more 
than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. He got it. He got the heart of the law, the heart of what God wants for us, to love him. The scribe understood his greatest obligations, both to God and to man. And what did Jesus say to this straight-A student who knew the law perfectly? What did he say? You made it. You're in. (laughs) It's not what he said. Verse 34. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're not far from the kingdom. You're close. You get the law. That's important. After that, no one dared ask him any, any more questions. No one likes presenting after the star student. The scribe was making everybody look bad. But notice, again, what Jesus didn't say to the scribe. He didn't say, welcome to the kingdom. He said, you're not far. You're not far. Knowledge of the law, knowledge of these great obligations is good, but it cannot get us into the kingdom. Romans 3, verse 20. This is why the law can't get us into the kingdom. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight. No matter how well we understand our obligations, our imperfect attempts at perfect love will always fall short. By them, we will never be perfectly righteous before God. But the law does have a role. Romans 3 verse 20 again. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. The perfect law of love teaches us to despair of any hope we have of being righteous in God's sight by ourselves. It disillusions us of our our illusions of self-righteousness. And we need to be disillusioned of our self-righteousness we can be if we're going to be saved because if we cannot establish our own righteousness before God we must find righteousness in another in other words if we learn that we can't fulfill the law of love we learn that we need someone else to do it for us in looking to the law and despairing of ourselves we learn of our need for Jesus Romans 5, verse 6, for while we were still weak, and don't you feel weak in the face of those high commands? While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Jesus, God the Son, is our righteousness. He fulfilled the law. He lived a life of perfect love of God and of neighbor And he's the only human being ever to have done so. And yet he died on a cross, dying a sinner's death, our death, in our place. He, the perfect, loving son, died that we might live. Out of love for us, Christ, the mighty maker, died to bear our sin that we might be restored to loving relationship with God. In love, Christ died that loveless hearts might love again. 
the first thing which these two great commandments should teach us is our need for a righteousness which is not our own, our need for the righteousness of Christ. Romans 3, verse 21. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you trusted in him for your righteousness? Have you finally gotten to the point where you realize, I, I actually can't measure up on my own strength? That, that, that's, I think, the first thing this, these two commands are supposed to teach us, that it's too high. We can't do it. We need help. We need a Savior. So having established that, having believed that, having despaired at our ability to fulfill the law, and then having trusted Christ, what, what do we do with these commands? We know we can't fulfill them perfectly in this life, but in Christ, that doesn't have to lead us to despair anymore. Right? It's like, oh, I can be okay because of Jesus. I can be restored to right relationship with God. Now what? Now what? In Christ, for those of us who believe, God is now inviting us through these commands to love him and to know him. These commands now give us a clue as to the one thing he wants us to pursue above all other pursuits. Now, freed from the condemnation of the law, we are free to follow these high callings as an invitation to go higher up and further in to loving and to knowing God. Maybe you're here as a Christian this week and you understand all this. You say, yes, I understand. The law doesn't justify. You've believed on Christ for your righteousness. But maybe you've come this morning and your walk with Christ is stale. You hear these words, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, and your knees wobble a little bit because you know that you love God much less than he deserves. Perhaps you feel the fire of your first love fading. In his 1978 album, No Compromise, Keith Green summed up this kind of dryness of heart with these words. My eyes are dry, my faith is old, my heart is hard, my prayers are cold. And I know how I ought to be, alive to you and dead to me. Oh, what can be done for an old heart like mine? Maybe that's you this morning. Or perhaps you're new to the Christian faith. You're just beginning to know God. And loving him with everything sounds like a lot. Where to begin? 
How do we even learn to love a God whom we've never seen? It's a kind of love, a kind of relationship unlike any other relationship that we have in that sense. I think the question, for if, if you're in either of those places, is the same. How do we go further up into the love of God? We've been cleansed. We've been reconciled. Now, how do I grow? How do I love God more? And the answer, I think, is simpler than we make it out to be sometimes. You don't have to have some ecstatic experience, though you may. Just get to know him, and you'll learn to love him. When my wife and I were dating, I didn't have to work to fall in love with her. Right? I just kept showing up on dates, getting to know her, and for me, to know her is to love her. To know God is to love him. The practical thing to do to learn to love God more is to get to know him. Read your Bible. Pray every day. Seek him in prayer. Tell him, God, I want to know you more. Engage in the relationship. Show up for a date. Show up for a date. And as you get to know him, pay special attention to the love of God. Because any love we, we are going to learn in learning to love God, learning to love our neighbors, is going to be a, as a response to God's love for us and to understanding that. The Apostle John teaches us this in 1 John 4, verse 19. You're probably familiar with this verse. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Looking to Jesus, right, who, who died in our place and then who rose again, and, and in whom we have hope. In Jesus, we see the love of God on display. Look even to your own lives. Think about it. If you're a Christian, you, you've been redeemed from your sin. You've been freed up to live a new life. This is amazing what God has done. God really loves us. And Jesus is the proof. And the experience of coming to understand that kind of softening love is just what can melt our hearts to beat again in love to God. Keith Green again. Oh, what can be done for an old heart like mine? Soften it up. It's a prayer to God. Soften it up, Lord, with oil and wine. The oil is you, your spirit of love. Please wash me anew in the wine of your blood. Let's make that our prayer this week. Lord, soften my heart in your love. Press in this week into the love of God. Make it your steadfast commitment to begin the day refreshed in your knowledge of God's love for you. And see if your heart is not softened to love him more. Not just to love God, but also to love our neighbors. 
Because when we begin to experience God's love and to love God, then the fountain of love in our hearts will inevitably overflow into love of neighbor. To know our neighbors is not always to love them. There's, there's people out there that are hard to love. But to know God is to love neighbor. When we wrap our minds around how, how God loves us despite ourselves, despite our sin and our shame and our stumbling, then we start slowly to begin to love like that too. When we begin to experience how God loves us, we learn to love like he loves, to love people despite themselves, despite their hang-ups, to love people like God loves us. First John again, First John 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Love is our highest calling. It's our greatest obligation. Will you make love your purpose this week, your pursuit, your personal mission? God's inviting us. Let's follow. Amen? All right, as we, uh, well, let's pray, actually, before we close. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for pointing us in the direction of what you've made us for, to love you, to know you, to love you with everything and to love our neighbors as ourselves. We pray, Father, that if we haven't come to understand our need for you, our need for a Savior, that I pray, especially, Lord, if there's anyone here who hasn't come to understand that, that you'd press it into their hearts this week by your Spirit, that we would all learn to throw ourselves on Jesus for our salvation. I pray, Lord, that as we, as we grow in our knowledge of you, that you would grow us in our love for you, that we would seek out opportunities this week to, to meet you in your word, to get to know you better. We thank you, Father, for your word and for this people, for this opportunity we've had in your word. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, as we finish, let's stand together and we'll sing about the love of God. Um, if you get out your blue books, it's number 157. 157. Oh, is